With Halloween just around the corner, my family has plenty of tricks and treats planned. But thanks to Pampers, one thing I have never been afraid of is a leaky diaper. Fear no leaks with new and improved Pampers Swaddlers, now featuring a blowout barrier at the back waist that helps prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. We've always looked forward to getting the girls dressed up for Halloween when they were babies. And with Pampers, we knew that in addition to being absolutely adorable in their costumes, they would be dry, clean, and comfortable. With Swaddlers, you can rest assured that you have superior leak protection while keeping baby skin healthy. Pampers Breathe-Free Liner wicks away wetness, allowing baby skin to breathe, while the lock-away channels help keep baby skin dry and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologists approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Pamper Swaddlers are available in sizes newborn to size 8 and now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you. The cigar has been weaved into our history. If it's not from slavery, working in factories in Cuba, but for us, even religiously, if I walk in somewhere and I smell cigar smoke, that's like if somebody walks into a church and they smell, you know, that incense that they burn, it's like that. It is the ultimate representation of our history. Almost as if to test just how close twin sisters could be, Yvonne and Yvette Rodriguez are also business partners. They own Tres Lindas, a Miami-based cigar company, and in a crowded, male-dominated industry, the two Afro-Cuban women harness the very things that make them different to rise above competitors. This is the first time we've had two people on at once. So really? thank you. Yeah, this is like That's a grand cool. experiment. Really? Twin power? Mm. <laughs> Pioneers. Yvonne, the business begins with a visit to a Santera. So I feel like we have to start there because <laughs> it can't get any better than that. You knock on the Santera's door. You give her your $21 payment. And what does she tell you? Well, first of all, that is completely the truth. <laughs> <laughs> I went to una santera. My brother recommended me to I her. I know. I love that your brother had a santera on tap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she was clara, clara. She was clarissima. She said, listen, you came in with a whole bunch of spirits, I'm assuming ancestors. And she said, they want you to talk about them. During that time, I was working in TV. I was working at Telemundo. As an editor? Yeah. Post-production editor, working on soap operas. And, you know, Dulce de la Santera said, they want you to speak about them. She kept mentioning that. She said that I was going to be working with my sister. She said that we're going to be doing something together, you know, consider her like a business partner. Cut to 12 years later, I left my job, my corporate job. <laughs> they and removed was... you. They re- your ancestors removed you from yes, that, yes. that space. Yeah, they opened the door for me to leave. Well, <laughs> just took you 10 years yeah, to walk through. Yeah. I mean, so Yvette, when she calls you and tells you all of this, what's your first thought? I'm more or less a yes person. 
And, you know, I'm ride or die for my sis. I was like, yeah, it was a little bit in the talks. Like, you know, we're cigar smokers or whatever. So we did have a conversation before, like casually, actually about, oh, maybe like having like a cigar brand, something like that. And it was like, okay. And then one day she calls me and she's like, listen, I think that we should have a cigar brand. I think that we should have three blends. I think that we should call it Tres Linda Cubana. And I think that uh, one blend should be La Negrita, one blend should be La Mulata, and one blend should be La Clarita. And I go, yes. So what's the moment where it goes from being an idea to something that you're actually putting money into? It was a lot of research. We kind of jumped in blindly. Again, being in Miami, this is like the cigar industry headquarters. A lot of the offices are here. A lot of the owners are Cuban descendants of tobacco owners or, or cigar brand owners in Cuba when they left and they went to other countries, like they went to Dominican Republic, mm-hmm. they went to uh, Nicaragua, they came to Miami also. So for us, it started with research. We were already cigar enthusiasts. We were already visiting cigar shops and things like that. It was like saying going to a bar or something. Sure. But Eva, you are a cigar enthusiast. What do you know about actually making cigars? We actually do not roll our cigars. We leave that to the master rollers in Nicaragua. We do dabble in, you know, for like if there's an event or something like that. But we we admired everything about it from seed to smoke, basically. So then as consumers and, you know, enthusiasts, we're going to cigar shops. We're trying out different cigars. We're looking at the construction of the cigar. There's different shapes of a cigar. Our most popular is our torpedo shape. It's a whole world, you know, to mm-hmm. to research and like to learn And, you know, besides that, the bands on the different cigars, what are the words that pop out the most? How do the boxes look like? My house is full of cigar boxes with things in them. Like, I've always loved it, you know? Mm -hmm. So from our point, we're coming from the consumer point, not from, like, our old family uh, that owned, you know, a farm. We're coming from (laughs) it, like, hardcore business, but hardcore, you know, traditional in a sense, but our style. What was missing in the market? I mean, there, there are a lot of brands. Where did you see the opportunity to create something new? When we first launched around that year, there were a lot of boutique cigar brands coming out. Seeing when we started and who was starting their brands also, that we were all kind of the same age. We were all immigrants, obviously, like Spanish speaking from parents of other countries, mostly Cuban, of course. And we're creating small batch blends. So then for us, it was doable because we weren't creating a high volume to begin with, you know, and there was a market for that because people were looking for things that you don't just buy big box. So then that also came into play for us because we were small fish. I mean, we continue to be small fish, but we have followers and yet a consumer base, you know. But again, this was we went into it blindly. Truthfully, you know, we're not even. Yeah, it wasn't like we're going to take over the industry. That wasn't like the goal. It's the goal now, you know, it's the goal now. <laughs> but seriously, it was just like for fun. We saw all like the competition. We thought it was like fierce, but then it became even more so like we saw like the real deal. Tell me, what does that look like? <laughs> what what does it look like? <laughs> it looks like our boutique cigar brand owners, you know, two like hot Afro-Cubana sisters, you know, with Afros, you know, black, you know, walking in, you know, Afro popping, walking into, you know, like a cigar shop, you know, and... No, I'm not even going to say Little Havana because it's like the record screeches. <laughs> it's like, and everybody's like, just like quiet and they're staring, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, you know. And what's the vibe? Why are you here? 
Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. They turn around and they are looking at you. It's like if you're a, the TV show that's on right now. They take their focus off of, off of Fox, Fox News. News. <laughs> they stop watching Fox News for a second. Yeah, and this was at the height of the campaigning back then. Yeah. So then we would walk in and, you know, the, the atmosphere was not aggressive or anything like that, but they were white, older Cuban men in there, you know. And again, we speak English and Spanish, but you're walking in and they don't even think that you smoke a cigar. So then you're walking in and they think that you are the tourist buying something for their boyfriend or their husband, mm. you know? So it's like, no, hold on. Um, this is my brand, Trelinda Cubana Cigars. And so you then, switch into Spanish immediately. Uh, it, yeah. I mean, is that I naturally speak both anyways, fluently. But to demand that they understand and contextualize you, you must switch to Spanish. We have to, yeah. yeah. Because they also, a lot of these shop owners only speak Spanish in Miami. And so yeah. how do you prove yourself? I wake up and I throw myself off of a cliff every day. You know, like you come in thinking that you're going to win this over or, you know, you're going to make the big sale and they are not paying attention to you. And that happens a lot. But again, that's a great way to sharpen your knife. And I'll tell you truthfully, immediately, I'm saying within two to three months, we were getting responses from, truthfully, a lot of black owned Mm -hmm. cigar shops, a lot of black owned or black uh, focused events. To be a sponsor in a corporate event, you have to pay. You have to do a whole bunch of things. We said, listen, we want to do this. We have no (laughs) money. We cannot give that much inventory at all. You know, but they wanted us there because they've never been able to speak to someone that owns a cigar brand that speaks English also that looks like them, you know? Mm -hmm. So we, we were like a highlight of their day. What then have you learned about your consumer? They're smart. They're smart and they have money. We we attract mostly the consumer that knows about cigars, knows the leaves, you know, knows the process because they're very into it. An American, let me tell you, I thought that we we're going to get a lot of Hispanics, uh, a lot of Latinos smoking. I know Americans are smoking. You know, they are the consumer. But you're not just in Miami. I mean, no, you're in no. Virginia, you're in Texas, you're in yeah. Maryland. So you're actually doing that each of those touch points. Like, are you traveling to those places and meeting uh, with uh, those shop owners? A lot of those, to bring it back a little bit, when we started, we knew that we didn't have the ability to travel everywhere. And I don't like long road trips. I don't like, you know, getting in a car and just driving. I don't like that. The vet for me, I think she's a genius <laughs> because she saw that we were attractive to media. You get what I'm saying? Like our story, which I didn't think it was. So then instead of putting out marketing dollars towards putting uh, ads into trade magazines, cigar trade magazines, we decided to get features on us. And we are small business owners, minorities in a niche that, you know, nobody looks like us till this day. We go and we're like the sore thumbs there, you know? (laughs) And you know what? Better for it. You know, it's better. And truthfully, for being a small business that a lot of big brands know about us, you know, um, we are not just a typical guayabera wearing sitting down with his whole family around him or whatever. We are the new generation of cigar smokers, you know. So then we reflect what's out there, the consumer. When my babies were going through their exploration stage, I had so much to worry about. Falling over, bumping heads. What did she just put in her mouth? The list was endless. But when they were in pamper swaddlers, I knew I never had to worry about a leaky diaper. Swaddlers are great for both baby and mommy. They keep your baby's skin healthy and dry with Pampers Breathe-Free Liner, which wicks away wetness, allowing your baby's skin to breathe. Swaddlers have always given me peace of mind knowing that diaper rash and leaky diapers were not in our future. 
There's also the blow-up barrier at the back waist to help prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blow-ups. Pamper Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. Hypoallergenic and free of parabens and latex. Your baby deserves that. And they're available in a wide range of sizes from newborn to size 8. And now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. Having a diaper you can depend on is important. And it's why I have always loved Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today to start earning rewards with every diapers and wipes purchase. Not to mention, get great parenting content with Pampers Club. Hi, Latina to Latina listeners. It's Brenda from Tamarindo Podcast. And if you love Latina to Latina, then we know that you're going to love Tamarindo Podcast. And if you're in the L.A. area and can't make it to the Latina to Latina live event, we'd like to invite you to our event on March 28th. At 6.30 p.m., we're hosting Amigas Blossoming, a night of celebrating and cultivating blossoming friendships. This will be in Highland Park, and all the details to RSVP for free are at tamarindopodcast.com forward slash events. Hey, Red, what are you up to? Just making sure all the M&M's gifts are wrapped and the balls filled. Remember that one holiday party when we had no M&M's? Oh, boy, I still have nightmares. The cookies? Yeah, you used all the M&M's candies that were meant to decorate the party treats to decorate snowmen. You did it again, didn't you? <laughs> they do look cute, though. Bringing cheer, M&M's for all fun kind. Feeling My Flow is a podcast co-created by Juleka and produced by her company, Lentiqua Williams & Co., which also produces Latina to Latina. Feeling My Flow sees and talks about menstruation as an event that happens to all types of bodies and affects menstruators in different ways. How they feel about their bodies, how others treat them based on social norms, what access they have to information and power. Feeling My Flow brings us the stories of individuals and how they've been shaped by menstruation. There's Lola, a late bloomer, PJ, a trans man who gets sympathy cramps, Cass, who sparked an international conversation with an Instagram post. Feeling My Flow wants to help you start important conversations at critical moments. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit Feeling My Flow, that's feelingmyflo.com for more. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Cigar smoking is most often portrayed as a male pastime, as a masculine pastime. Did you have women in your life who smoked cigars? Yeah, my grandmother was a big-time cigar smoker. <laughs> Stereotypical, a caricature. If you Google Cuban cigar-smoking woman online, the ladies that come out look like my grandmother. Imagine that my grandmother was una santera. She would wear these long, like, white flowing skirts. And she would, and this is like inside the house, and she would ash on top of the skirt. So then her skirt, <laughs> yeah. so then I mean, we are, I mean, she lived in Little Havana, and we lived at that time growing up, we always grew, grew up down south in South Dade, South Miami-Dade, you know? So that was, we, we, we grew up as Americans, you know, and speaking English and things like that, and we spoke Spanish at home. So going to my grandmother's house, it was like an experience, you know? Culture, culture shock yeah. that we were used to at that point. <laughs> Your mom came on the Freedom Flights in 69. Yeah. Your dad was a member of the national soccer team, defected to Panama, came the year after your mother. So your parents meet in Cuba, but they marry here. Yeah. yeah. What have they shared with you about the decisions they had to make during those times 
both about leaving and then choosing to raise the two of you here? It's bittersweet. My mom said that her teenage years were sad because she left Cuba when she was about, how old was she, like 15 or something? Yeah, like 14 or 15. So that you're leaving at, you know, your teen years, that just like teens over here at 15, 14 or 15, they're out of place. They are, you know, she's coming into a foreign land. So for her, I guess it was very sad. And then during that time when they came over, her father passed away in Cuba. And she said that she cried for her dad, but she didn't cry as much as when he she first left. Because for her, she didn't feel like she was ever going to see him again anyways, mm-hmm. you know? And then I guess my father came over. They were teenage, you know, uh, it's a love story. Uh, he came about a year later that from she heard about it on the radio because they said a Cuban, he was, he was a captain of the team and he defected. So that was, I guess, a big deal, you know? So that's how she found out. And then I guess, you know, they, they got into some kind of communication. But from there... We grew up further down south. They left the little Havana area. Yeah, not the epicenter of Cuban life. No, 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 no. not at all. Yeah. We grew up, like I mentioned earlier, in South Miami-Dade. There were very few Spanish-speaking kids there and not none that looked like us at all. So what were the cultural influences at school? Jamaican, Haitian, Puerto Rican at that time. There were a lot of Puerto Ricans in Miami. Our best friend was from St. Lucia, that she lived right you know, across the street from us. We had a neighbor down the block that he was Filipino. It was very eclectic, now that I think about it. You know, very Caribbean. But at that time in elementary school, there were not a lot of Cubans at all. Were you being exposed to American Black culture? And were you latching onto that and identifying with that? Yes, definitely. Definitely. We listened to, we were little Black girls. And we continue to be Black women. We had to learn English in elementary school. Because remember, Spanish was our first language. We were in ESO classes. (laughs) (laughs) But we latched on, not even that we latched on, that's what was in style. For us, it wasn't black culture or white American culture. It was American culture. So everything was McDonald's, you know, we latched on to everything American, you know, and my parents, of course, frowned upon all of it. (laughs) (laughs) Was it easier to blend into that Americanness than to assert your Afro-Cubanness? I think that we didn't, we didn't feel like we had to choose because... It just came naturally for us. We, we've always had, you know, this Miami accent. And it was even worse. Like, it was like a thick Miami accent. <laughs> you know, like, cleaned it up a little bit. We went to school in Gainesville, UF, the University of Florida. Go Gators. But this Miami accent was, you know, thicker than it is now. No, you, you, can, you no know, yours you can, is super thick. Well, they could hardly understand <laughs> me when I got up there. You do have spent basically this entire interview ribbing each other. So I feel like I already know the answer to this question, which is working not just with your sister, Yvette, but with your twin sister. What is that like? Pretend she's not here. I, no, it's not bad. It's not bad. <laughs> if I didn't get along with her, we, we, this would be impossible to do. And I tell her all the time that, you know, everybody hates on the Kardashians. But to work with family members, man, that's tough. It's not easy to be around each other that much. But we, we, we've we shared a room growing up at my parents' house. We had to learn how to compromise and, um, you know, communicate. But our communication is uh, sometimes through arguing. That's You got to communicate. You got to get it out. And we get over it. Like, it's like the end of the world if we argue. And literally, it's like five minutes later. And we're like, yeah, because, yeah, no, okay, good, yeah. Ivan, did you set guidelines at the start? As far as what? Uh, between our relationship? As or? far as who's in charge of what, what your lanes would be? Yeah, yeah. I think that we both, ha- from the beginning, we knew what our expertise was in. She handled all of our media. When it comes to details, she's the one that deals with it. When it comes to selling, that's more me. That's her gift. You know, she's charismatic. 
She knows how to talk to people. She knows how to sweeten up people. And I'm more like, yeah, detailed. And I'm like, okay, this email has to look like this. Or we have to, the cigar box has to look like this, that style. So then tell me, being where you are now, what is your best advice, Yvette, for family members who want to go into business together? I think that definitely give it a try. The end of the day, families first. You know, you're not going to like not speak to your sister because of some, you know, business. We knew that this was just like a risk. However, it, it, it does help a lot, a lot, a lot to know when to get in business mode. Like if it's a business meeting, we're having a business meeting. Like treat it like if it's a stranger. But, you know, you have to be open to a lot of communication and, you know, serving it, you know, like politely. If you have to say something, say it. But instead of saying, no, bam, because you're always doing this, we don't talk like that. But outside of the business, we're vicious. (laughs) We're vicious, but like in a funny way. You know, that's it. We're just normal. Let's talk about the nitty gritty of the business. You started Tres Lindas with $500. Yeah. What did that money go towards, Yvonne? It went towards fulfilling an order, actually, because we first only had samples of different blends. And that took about a year trial and error dealing with a factory in Nicaragua. That was very little cost. And that was before we even uh, launched, really, you know. And our first $500 went to fulfilling an order at a cigar shop. That's how it went. We, we didn't have inventory before that, you know. Again, so what like, are you actually paying for? You're paying for the seed and the labor and the additional product, like the rolling products. Yeah, yeah. We're dealing. We're 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 paying for the product. We are the ones that choose the year and the and the the leaves that we want to use. So Yvette, you spend the first five hundred dollars. You get an immediate return on that investment, there's a profit. What are the next decisions that you had to make in that first year as business owners? Well, that was to have our boxes in a local shop here in Miami, which we popped champagne on that one because that was like, (laughs) wow, we were very happy for that. And then it was, okay, let's start getting into other cigar shops. What was the biggest mistake you made during that period? I think that to tell you the truth, I don't think that it was a mistake, but we called the brand Tres Linda Cubana Cigars, thinking that we're going to get a big response from the Hispanic smoker or the Latino smoker. And it turns out that our consumer has been African-American, like for the majority. Um, so then not that we didn't make any mistakes as far as like marketing ourselves, but we didn't realize that we our story was part of the reason why um, people would buy our brand or even give it an opportunity. And that we, if we would have known that, not that it took up too much time to recognize that, but I feel like we, I feel like we all have gifts and we fail to recognize the gifts and to promote ourselves with that gift. The seed that you use for this cigar is Cuban. Yeah. But every other piece of it is Nicaraguan and is made in Nicaragua. Yeah, the soil is Nicaraguan. Yeah. Do you describe that, Ivan, as a political choice or a practical choice? Practical. Practical um, in the sense, again, that that's the only, uh, uh, as far as recipe, that's the only recipe that I knew using Cuban seed tobacco. We don't even really mention that it's Cuban seed because it stands for, it's, it stands alone. You know what I'm saying? We never mention the factories that we work with, which are very, you know, these are prominent factories because we don't want to stand behind that name. We want us to be the name. So then as far as Cuban seed, we went with, the region, which is in Esteli, Esteli, Nicaragua, that was for us the be- yielded the best crop. 
you know, and the best cigars. So if someone is a cigar novice, what are the qualities that define a cigar? Okay. How are you going to feel holding this in your hand and sitting for an hour? Secondly, I look at like the shape of a cigar, the length, you know, how long it is. Our cigars are made in Nicaragua and farmed all the tobacco is Nicaraguan, basically. That's usually my go-to Nicaraguan cigars. Because of the texture, because of the taste, because of the boldness of it. I mean, what what is it that you're looking for? Well, right now I'm drinking French blend coffee right now. I would love Una Clarita cigar right now, which is like a lighter Connecticut. It has like lighter tones. It just complements like a cafe con leche perfectly. You know what I mean? So okay. that if I'm having a wine um, after dinner, I would love Una Negrita, which is like full body, strong, like bold. Right. As a wine drinker, I'm like, okay, so you have a Pinot Noir. Now we're talking yeah. about your Merlot. <laughs> yeah. And then you have a medium bodied cigar. I have. I usually go at that point. I'm on a full body. Dark. <laughs> <laughs> the darker, the better. The blacker, the better. The blacker, the better. Okay. So we've talked about La Clarita. We've talked about La Negrita and then La Mulata. What is that one like? La Mulata is like my grandmother, Esperanza. A little bit of the light with a little bit of the dark. La Mulata is Cuba. So yeah, that's like our homage to Cuba. El Habano, La Mulata. A big part of the brand, to bring us back to where we started, is about honoring your ancestors. How exactly do you do that? Well, for me, smoking a cigar is a religious experience. It is. The cigar has been weaved into our history. If it's not from slavery working in factories in Cuba. But for us, even religiously, if you're looking at Afro-Cuban or African religions, that is part of their lifestyle, you know? So then for us, if I walk in somewhere and I smell cigar smoke, that's like if somebody walks into a church and they smell, you know, that incense that they burn, mm-hmm. it's like that. And I'm not even playing around about that. It's like that, you know? So for us, we have, as far as the cigar, we hold it in very high regard. It is the ultimate representation of as far as in my family, our history. I'm a good Cuban woman, and you walk into a good Cuban woman's house, and there's a cigar in the corner, because that's for our ancestors. That's like, blow some smoke in the air, you know, for him or for her, you know? As far as when she mentioned that my ancestors wanted me to speak about them or or to tell their story, I think that we took the right route. I I think so, too. What, Yvette, do you think your ancestors would think about this endeavor? I think that they probably been knocking on the door for a while, just, you know, just trying to get our attention. And I think that we are them walking. So then when we walk in a cigar shop, like, how are we getting all this confidence? You know, we're coming in like Beyonce. <laughs> we're coming in like Beyonce with her dance, you know, her, her dancers. I think that we're coming to a point in this in this world that we have to recognize our people. You know, like it's not it, as even so much like being, you know, a daughter of immigrants that it's OK to mention my muertos, my spirits that, you know, are amongst us, our ancestors. I mean, I think that they're thrilled. And I mean, who wouldn't be like this is like instead of um, instead of just putting like a picture on the wall, we're like the their walk, the walking embodiment. I also always think about the fact that it's like. These women left everything they had. Yeah. Like, oh, you started a cigar company? Like, how brave. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, I don't think yeah. it's that big of a deal. It, yeah. it just it gives you a difference. When you come from that story and yeah. that mythology, it makes every risk you take yeah. 
it puts it in context. Yeah, yeah. Right? It's like, yeah. I get to speak the language I grew up speaking. Mm, yeah. I get to operate in it all the time. Mm. I have, like, lived in different states, but I've lived in one country. Yeah. Yeah. Like, the risk is not, it is not yes. as great as what has come before me. Exactly. And subconsciously, I think that that's always in my mind, on my mind. I think that we're the American dream, FYI, you know, first generation Americans, and we have a thriving business. Fun, Yvette. This was so much fun. You think? I had a good time. Yeah. I had the best time. <laughs> Thank you both. You two are amazing. Thank you. No, you're Thank you for the questions, though. This is awesome. Thanks, as always, for joining us. Latina to Latina is executive produced and owned by Juleka Lantigua-Williams and me. Maria Muriel is our producer. Carolina Rodriguez is our sound engineer. Emma Forbes is the show's intern. We love hearing from you. Email us at hola at latinatolatina.com. And remember to subscribe or follow us on Radio Public, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you're listening. And please leave a review. It is one of the quickest ways to help us grow as a community. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you.